We want to welcome everybody to this powerful presentation on Ellen White's view on women in ministry. This is Dr. Isaac Olatunji, adjunct professor at Oakwood University and also pastor of the Gulf States Conference of Seven Day Adventists. Shall we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Eternal Father, we come before you in prayer, asking you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who is the great teacher of truth, Lord. Illuminate your word, Lord, and this presentation, and as it goes worldwide, may souls be blessed, encouraged, and strengthened because we have a more sure word of prophecy. We thank you for answering this prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, I hope you have your Bibles, as we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, as we deal with this issue of women's ordination, it has become a subject of most um, great importance in God's rendering church. And I want to assure you, brothers and sisters, that the Bible has the answer to this issue. Now, the Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine. So it's profitable in this issue as we study the doctrine of women's ordination and for reproof and correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I don't mean to call it necessarily a doctrine per se, but dealing with the doctrine of ecclesiology as it relates to women in ministry. Let me make that correction. Now, in this issue here of women in ministry, women's ordination, we want to let you know that, again, that God has the answer. Now, this issue here stands or falls on the issue of how we interpret not only the Bible, but how we interpret the writings of Ellen G. White. We call it in theology hermeneutics. So let me give you a scripture on this in the book of Psalms, chapter 33, verse 11, because some argue it from a cultural, con cultural context. It was for that culture at that time or all kinds of other, um, how should I say, um, philosophies based on that. But as we said, the Bible is profitable for all things. The Bible says in the book of Psalms 33, verse 11, I love this scripture. The word of God is a wonderful book. It's the most powerful book in the world. The Bible says in Psalms 33, verse 11, the scripture says, the counsel of the Lord, God's counsel, the thoughts of his heart. The Bible says, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever, and the thoughts of his heart are unto all generations. So brothers and sisters, what God wrote in the, um, in the first century on this issue of women in ministry, women's ordination, applies to every other culture and all generations all the way down to the end of time. And with that, let me hear you say amen. amen. Oh, it's going to be good today. Now, I want to just show you some things here that the Lord has put upon my heart. Um, what we want to do as we deal with, before we deal with what Ellen White has had to say on this issue, we have to go to the greater light, the Bible. Amen? Amen. Amen. We want to affirm that this book commissions men and women in ministry. Matthew 28, 19. Turn with me to Matthew 28, 19. I know we know it by heart, but we want to go to the Bible. The Bible talks about um, the commission that God has given men and women. Because the church is composed of men, women, and children. And Jesus said in verse 19 of Matthew 28, Go ye therefore and teach how many nations? 
all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This gospel commission is not only just for men, but for women to teach and preach this everlasting gospel so that Jesus can come back. Jesus says the same thing in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. So this commission to get the gospel out is for all men and women to finish the work and both sexes are needed as we meet the demands of time. John 14 verse 12, the Bible says, my favorite, one of my favorite scriptures as we talk about commissioning his people to go and finish the work. The Bible says in John 14 and verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So Jesus commissions men and women by the power of the Holy Spirit to finish his work, and we're going to talk about this most powerful issue as we deal with what Ellen White has to say about women in ministry. Now, because the Bible has the answer, we have to go to the Bible. Am I right, somebody? The Bible has the answer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So on this issue, there's a right way to divide this issue, and there's a wrong way. Am I right, somebody? So it's very important that we study this issue out, and I like what our president, Ted Wilson, said on this issue recently where President Ted Wilson said, quote, I would encourage each church member, that includes myself, that includes this symposium, and certainly each representative at the annual council and to those who will be delegates at the general conference session to prayerfully review this study on ordination and then ask the Holy Spirit to help them to know God's will. And the Bible makes it very plain that the Spirit of God will lead us into how much truth? All truth. So therefore, there's a truth in here. So yes, this issue has been a controversial issue. Some places it's divisive on, on all, all, all points. But I want to read to you a statement from the Spirit of Prophecy. This is from the 1888 materials, page 904. The 1888 materials, 904, the servant of the Lord says, Brethren, you need not be afraid of the plain teachings of the Bible. There's no reason why I should be ashamed to preach this message. There's no reason why I should be scared to teach this. Do not fear to go where the voice of Jesus is heard, saying, follow me. Can we follow him in this teaching? For this will lead you right. Now listen to this. Do not let any man or woman or any council or party to lead you to suppress the precious light that God has permitted to shine from heaven in regard to the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? So what God says here, we shouldn't be fearful of what anybody will think of us because we may take a certain stand. We have that right, our constitutional and God-given right to do that. Now, on this issue, um, Elder Dan Jackson, president of North American Division, rightfully said, quote, that there are God-fearing, Bible-believing people who find themselves on both sides of this equation. So as I present this message, I present it in Christian love, sincerity, but with firmness and balance to see what God says on this issue and let the people of God make the right decision. Now, as we deal with this issue about Ellen White and women in ministry, 
We will be going to the writings of Ellen White, which do affirm women in ministry. But we want to let you know that, as she said, her writings are a lesser light leading to the greater light, the Bible. Lesser light does not mean less inspired. It doesn't mean less authoritative. But the function of her writings must be in harmony and is in harmony with biblical principles. So we got to get it out of this book first. And then as we read the spirit of prophecy, we will see how she correlates and how she harmonizes with what God has already said. And I like what she says in Great Controversy, page 7. Sister White says that God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of His will. And notice this, the prophet of the Lord says that they are the standard of character. Why? Because the Bible is known as the canon, and the word canon means the measuring stick, which means that any other revelation teaching outside of this book or that claims to come from the Bible must be in harmony with this Bible or it cannot stand the test of Isaiah chapter 8 where we know it says to the law and to the testimony. She says they are the standard of character. Then it says the revealer of doctrines. Now, this issue, women in ministry, falls under the doctrine and systematic theology of ecclesiology or the study of the church. So what happens is this right here, they're the revealer of doctrines and the test of experience. Very important. Then she says the spirit was not given, nor can it be bestowed to supersede the Bible. Very important principle. Whenever we read anything from Sister White, we got to understand the spirit that God gave her, even her own writing, she said, must be subject unto, this, unto, unto the Bible. But we thank God that we have a more sure word of prophecy. And she herself says that her writings never contradict the Bible. She says, quote, the spirit was not given, nor can it be bestowed to supersede the Bible. For the scriptures explicitly state that the word of God is the standard by which all teaching, how much teaching? All, all teaching, even on this, and experience must be tested. So if there's a teaching on this issue, it must be in accordance with this. Am I right? If somebody has an experience or somebody says they have a calling, it must be in correlation to what God has already revealed. And so the Spirit of God does not and cannot contradict itself. So what we want to do, we want to just look at some scriptures to show you how the Bible affirms women in ministry. Because brothers and sisters, we need both. Am I right, somebody? And before I read that, I want to just thank God for my precious mother who's sleeping in Jesus, awaiting the first resurrection, who the Lord used in ministry, the ministry of the home, to bring me to the cross. Amen. And I thank God and I affirm all my um, sisters in ministry who were instrumental in my conversion. I want to thank God for my Bible worker. I still call her my Bible worker in Allegheny East Conference. Sister Melanie, she knows who she is, who did labor among me and my family to bring me to the truth. Amen. Amen. And I still can never, never forget those Sabbath school classes, those new believers classes at First Church in Washington, D.C. And I thank God for women like that, as well as every other woman in ministry. Now, notice this right here. The Bible affirms women in ministry. So throughout the Bible, just looking at some notes here, women are shown to be involved in ministry. Can we say amen to that? There are several examples, like Deborah, who was a judge in Israel. The Bible talks about it in the book of Judges, chapter 4 and verse 4. 
In the book of Exodus chapter 15, we see Deborah, who was a prophetess. And notice this right here. We have in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Um, the Bible talks about another woman. And I like this right here because um, I specialize in teaching on the writings of Ellen G. White. And I know that there's some outside of our fold who look with negativity upon women prophesying, but the Bible does support women prophesying. What do you say out there? Amen. The Bible says in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 34, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles, chapter 34 and verse 22, the Bible talks about a certain woman who was used in ministry at a very serious time in the history of God's church. The Jews were about to go into the Babylonian captivity, but yet God raised up a woman. The Bible says in verse 22, and Hilkiah and they that the king had appointed were to hold the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college and they spake to her to that effect. And as they came to the prophetess, they came to hear a word from the Lord. The Bible says in verse 23, and she answered him saying, thus saith the who somebody. So we see that not only can a man give a thus saith the Lord, a woman anointed by the Holy Spirit called by God can give a thus saith the Lord as well too. Thus saith the Lord of God of Israel, tell ye the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, verse 24, behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses which are written in the book and which they have read before the king of Judah. And she gives more of her prophecy in the other verses. So we see right here that God speaks through a woman. Am I right, somebody? God used a woman in prophetic ministry. So we see Huldah, who was a prophetess. Let's look at the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 36. The New Testament affirms women in ministry as well, too. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 36, and I'm going to read to you um, some statements from the spirit of prophecy. It's not every statement, but enough to make the point and to confirm what the Bible has already said on this subject. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 2 and verse 36. Do you have it? Do you have it? Amen. The Bible says, and there was one, Anna, a what, somebody? A prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. Look at verse 37. And she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the what? temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. The Bible does not talk about her prophesying, but the Bible recognizes her as a prophetess, meaning that she gave prophetic word, prophetic counsel to his church. She definitely was involved in ministry. And with that, I will say amen. I want to give you another scripture in the book of Acts chapter 18, verse 26. Acts chapter 18, verse 26. Let's go to um, Acts the 18th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 26. And we want to just give God the praise for his word because, brothers and sisters, we have a more sure word of prophecy. The Bible says in Acts chapter 18 and verse 26, the Bible says, quote, and he began, this is Acts 18, 26, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took unto him them unto him and espoused unto him the way of God more perfectly. We see a woman here in ministry with her husband, and I'm pretty sure she was giving a word to the young man who got converted. Amen. 
So we see here women in ministry. And one more um, scripture here we're going to look at is the book of Romans 16 and verse 1. And we may be able to visit this back again before we close. In the book of Romans 16 and verse 1. Now, the Apostle Paul, and one thing I want to share with you on this issue of women in ordination, we thank God, I thank God that the same author of this book was the same author in Timothy and Titus and as well as 1 Corinthians, where God called one man to talk about this issue. So you can't put Peter against somebody else or Paul against somebody else. Paul speaks for himself. The Bible says in the book of Romans 16, verse 1, the Bible says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Kekinera, that you receive her in the Lord as become of saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a secure of many, and myself also, Paul himself, affirm women in ministry. The word servant comes from the word where we get the word deacon, where she served as what some may call a deaconess or a servant, congregational servant ministry. But yet, what we're going to do is we're going to show you that what she did here as a minister doing ministry for the church did not contradict what Paul said in other writings. Now, we'll look at another one right here. There were women that played a prominent role in the ministry of Jesus. And for time's sake, we're going to give you Matthew 28, 1 through 10 for your um, research in Matthew 28, 1 through 10. And there's other scriptural examples. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Luke chapter 23, verse 49. And then John chapter 11, 1 through 46. 12, 1 through 8. John chapter 11, 1 through 46. Chapter 12, 1 through 8. And so we see this right here, women along with Jesus working in ministry. But what we want to show you this is this. Further, no spiritual gift is limited. Is what, somebody? Limited. To men in the list of the New Testament spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter chapter 4. And women were commanded to edify the body of Christ, which included teaching according to the book of Titus chapter 2, verse 4, and as well as prophecy. The Bible says in Acts 2, 17, we know it by heart, in the last days, in the what days? The Bible says, I will pour out my spirit upon how much flesh? All flesh. And the Bible makes it very plain that sons and daughters shall what? Prophesy. So we see that right here as well as everything else. So the Bible affirms that women have an incredibly important role in God's church throughout the ages. That hasn't changed. However, even though men and women both serve the Lord in significant ways, we should not conclude that God has intended men and women to function in the same capacity. And that's very, very important. You know, football, just using analogy in football for those that watch football, um, all football players are equal. Am I right? But all don't have the same role. One has to be a quarterback. One has to be a wide receiver. But the most important position is the center. Because unless the center hikes the ball, the quarterback can't do anything. But we all know the quarterback usually gets all the glory and those kind of things. But every position in the church is important. The Paul says in Corinthians that those with higher gifts cannot look down at those with lesser gifts and vice versa. All the gifts of the spirit are important. What we want to do right now for the next couple of minutes, we want to read what the Bible, excuse me, read what the spirit of prophecy says, an affirmation of women in ministry. Now, we're all in agreement that women as well as men are qualified to do ministry. Am I right? Now, what we want to do is read what the spirit of prophecy says in correlation and harmony with biblical principles. 
Got some statements here reading from Review and Herald, January 2, 1879. The prophet of the Lord says, quote, women can be instruments of righteousness. And to that I say amen. Rendering holy service. And then she says, it was Mary that first preached a risen Jesus. If there were 20 women, how many women? Well, there is now only one who would make this holy mission their cherished work. We should see many more converted to the truth. And with that, I say amen. It says the refining, softening influence of Christian women is needed in the great work of preaching the truth. Then she says in letter 77, 1898, she says, quote, when a great and decisive work is to be done, God chooses men and women to do this work. And it will feel the loss. Notice this right here. It will feel the loss if the talents of both are not combined. It's very clear. We need sisters in the ministry. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 9, page 128. Women as well as men can engage in the work of hiding the truth where it can work out and be manifested. Mm, mm, mm. Evangelism, page 472. There are women who should labor in gospel ministry, and in many respects, they would do more good than the ministers who neglect to visit the flock of God. And we're going to come back to that as we deal with this issue. Notice this right here. This is from letter 54, 1909. Letter 54, 1909. It says, quote, we need workers, men and women, who understand the reasons of our faith and who will realize the work to be done in communicating the truth, and those who refuse to speak any words which will weaken the confidence of any soul in the Word of God or destroy the fellowship that should exist between those of like faith. I want to read on Evangelism, page 472. And this is also in letter 169, 1900. Every week tells this story, one or two souls receive the truth. And the wonderful change in their features and in their character is so marked by their neighbor that the conviction of the very life of the neighbors is leading others to the truth, and they are now searching the scriptures diligently. Then she goes on to say, who was the instruments of this? She says, Sister and Sister W, which we know are women, are doing just as an effective work as the ministers. And some meetings, when the ministers are called away, Sister W takes the Bible and addresses the congregation. Amen. Amen. Listen to this right here. It says, quote, I'm going to read some more. It says here, this is from letter 84, 1900. Letter 84, 1910, excuse me. It says, our camp meetings are to be conducted. And camp meetings back then are what we would call evangelistic crusades. Our camp meetings are to be conducted in such a way that they should be schools for the education of workers. We need to have a better understanding of the division of labor and educate all. How many? How to carry each part of the work successfully. Let short discourses given, then let Bible classes be held. Now notice this right here. Let the speaker be sure to rivet the truth upon minds. Then it says, intelligent women, if truly converted, can act a part in this work of holding Bible classes. And that goes back to Sister Melanie, who was my Bible worker, to where every Sabbath, oh, I love those new believers classes. We would go through amazing facts. We'd go through the Revelation seminar and just seeing her teach the gospel, preparing me for baptism. And when I got baptism, she did a good job of making sure that I understood the Adventist message. So I praise God for that. And then she concludes by saying there is a wide field of service for women as well as men. Can I just keep reading? Can I keep reading? 
this is some good, this is some good news here. It says, women of first, this is from Review and Herald, December 19th, 1878. Women of firm principle and decided character are needed. Women who believe that we are indeed living in the last days and that we have a last solemn message of warning to be given to the world. Let me keep reading on. Testimonies, volume six, page 118. Testimonies, volume six, 118. All who work for God shall have the Martha and Mary attributes blended. <laughs> a willingness, number one, to minister, and a sincere love of the truth. Then she says, God calls for earnest women workers, women who are prudent, warm-hearted, tender, true to principle. He calls for persevering women who will take their minds from self and their personal convenience and will center them upon Christ, speaking words of truth, praying with the persons to whom they can obtain access, laboring for the conversion of souls. And with that, let me hear you say amen. Oh, I love this right here. I praise God for the spirit of prophecy. Review and Herald, December 19th, 1878, continuing. She says, quote, there are noble women who have had a, the moral courage to decide in favor of the truth from the weight of evidence. And then it says here, they have conscientiously accepted the truth. They have tact, perception, good ability, and will make successful workers for the master. Amen. Oh, let me just keep reading. Let me give you a couple of more. They're going to get into the real issue. This is from Review and Herald, August 26, 1902. It says, quote, the Lord has a work for women as well as for men. They may take their places and work at this crisis. And as we see the movings of the Pope in these last days, we need our sisters as well as the men. It says, and he will work through them. And if they are imbued with a sense of their duty and labor under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they will have just the self-possession required at this time. Oh, I just thank God for this. It says the Savior will reflect upon the self-sacrificing women. Notice this right here. The light of his countenance and will give them a power that exceeds that of men. Powerful. Now, here's the context. They can do the, in the families a work that men cannot do. Very important. I have women in my church that I need them to visit certain people that I should not be visiting. Amen. Just that woman's touch. Amen. To soften the hearts. It says a work that reaches the inner life. They can come close to the hearts of those whom men cannot reach. Then she concludes their labor is needed. Oh, this is powerful. Letter 31, 1894. Letter 31, 1894. Women who have the cause of God at heart can do a good work in the districts of which they reside. Christ speaks of women who helped them in presenting the truth before others. And Paul, who did I say? Paul. Paul also speaks of women who labor with him in the gospel, but how very limited is the work done by those who could do a large work if they could. Oh, this is so much. Let me just read on. This is from Evangelism, page 465. I kind of chuckle when I read this. You're going to see why. She says, I am pained because our sisters in America are not more of them doing the work that they might do for the Lord Jesus. Abiding in Christ, they would receive courage and strength and faith for the work. Many women love to talk. <laughs> Some will talk a hole in your head. <laughs> she said, many women love to talk. Why can't they talk the words of Christ to perishing souls? 
The more closely we are related to Christ, the heart learns the wretchedness of the souls who do not know God and those and who do not feel the dishonor they're doing for Christ was brought them with a great price. Oh, I tell you, so much stuff here. Let me um, keep going on. This, oh, time is, time is of the essence. Maybe I'll come back to a couple of these, but what we want to do, we want to really um, get to the bottom line of this. Um, let me see if there's any more. Let's look at, this is from Evangelism, page 467. Evangelism 467, it says, quote, women, if she wisely improves her time and faculties, relying upon God for wisdom and strength, may stand on an equality with the husband as an advisor, counselor, companion, and co-worker, and yet lose none of her womanly grace or modesty. I thank God for that. Let me see if I can read one more. Um, this is from letter 108, 1910. Then we're going to get to the real issue. There are women who are especially adapted for the work of giving Bible readings, and they are very successful in presenting the Word of God in its simplicity to others. They become a great blessing in reaching mothers and daughters. This is a sacred work, and those engaged in it should be, should receive encouragement. I'm going to come to the last couple before we close, but what we want to do is get to the real issue. It's plain. The Bible supports women in ministry. The spirit of prophecy operating Highlighting biblical principles affirms women in ministry. So it is not, as we all know, the purpose of this um, symposium to demean women in any way. Am I right? right? But what we want to do is be truthful and firm and consistent with what the Bible says. The real issue is, does the Bible and the writings of Ellen White support women serving as ordained pastors in the eldership bishopric function? That's the issue. Right. Not whether a woman can speak or teach, but should she be ordained as a pastor in the eldership bishopry function? And thank God the Bible has the answer. Now, in the Bible, we see a couple of things. We're just going to give you the reference in the book of Acts 14, verse 23. You can write this down. In the book of Acts 14, verse 23, we see the Bible says that elders were ordained. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, we see Paul commissioning Titus to ordain elders in every city. So we see that elders were to be ordained. Now, one thing I will say as before I go on, as I've watched um, the arguments from both sides, I watched a certain constituency meeting last year, not too long ago, where one of the proponents for women's ordination plainly said that if we can ordain women as elders, then we should ordain them as pastors. Now, I had to agree with him from that philosophy standpoint, not that I agree with his um, conclusion, because in the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there were no women elders until 1973, where the first woman elder was appointed and ordained. In an ordination service, we quote what Paul says in Timothy for ordination of elders. And when ministers are ordained, seven-day Adventist ministers, and I'm sure ministers of other denominations, the same text is used. Now, let's look at this. If a woman is being, if women in the church are being ordained, as elders, with the same text that Seventh-day Adventist ministers are being ordained, that man who, the person who said that had a point. So the real issue is, can a woman be an elder? Amen. If she could be an elder, then she could be ordained. Amen. We can say case closed. But if she cannot or should not, then brothers and sisters, the issue is clear. Amen. One thing I want to present to you is God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 13. 
talks about the roles of men and women in the church. The Bible makes it very plain in verses 11 through 13, without reading the text, we've already read it before in other programs, that the woman is to be in subjection and that she's not to usurp authority over the man. She's not to teach in an authoritative manner over men. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7, he's already relayed the groundwork in chapter 2, 11 through 13. So therefore, when he comes to 1 Timothy, when he says husband of one wife, able to manage his own home, et cetera, et cetera, he was very gender specific. And of course, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, he uses the term husband of one wife. Seven-day Adventist Bible Commentary, page 296. Now, this is not Ellen White, this is the commentator. Now, 7 BC, Bible Commentary, volume 7, page 296 says, quote, as the husband is the head of the home, so is he the natural leader of a group of homes in a church congregation. Amen. Let me read that one more time. As the husband is the head of the home, so is he the natural leader of a group of homes in a church congregation. So this is, um, where is it found at? This is Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, page 296. This is from the commentators. Now, the term husband of one wife, the word husband, comes from the Greek word aner, which simply means a male spouse. And it's very interesting that um, in the book of Matthew, chapter 1 and verse 16, as it talks about the birth of Jesus, the Bible uses almost the same term, but instead of saying um, husband of one wife, it puts the name of a husband and a wife. And of course, you know, Jesus' parents were Joseph and Mary. The Bible says in Matthew 1:16, Joseph, the husband of Mary, which was his one wife. So to make it very plain that when Paul was writing about who's to be a bishop or an elder, he was very gender specific. That may not be popular. It may not be politically correct. But this is the will of God based on the scriptures because God simply knows what's best. But even Paul, he appealed to the culture, not the culture of any male-dominated society, but a sinless, perfect culture where the Bible says everything he made was good. He said Adam was first formed, then Eve. Spirit of Prophecy says in Bible Commentary, Volume 1, that Christ, not that Christ, that Adam was king in Eden. So if he was king in Eden, you know who the queen was. Amen. So the thought that Paul is saying is that elders or bishops were to be qualified males. And notice I said qualified because all men do not qualify. Now notice what the Spirit of Prophecy says, Manuscript Release, Volume 5, page 449. It says, quote, the qualifications of an elder are plainly stated by the Apostle Paul. And she quotes 1 Timothy chapter 3. Then she says, if a man does not show wisdom in the management of the church in his own house, how can he show wisdom in the management of the larger church outside? How can he bear the responsibilities, which means so much, if he cannot govern his own children? Wise discrimination is not shown in this matter. God's blessing will not rest upon the minister who neglects the education and the training of his children. He has a sacred trust, and he should in no case set before the church members a defective example in the management notices of his home. You see the word his and he and man in there, which means that she's talking to about a qualified male or a man who should be a qualified male. Now, some may say, well, that was probably generic. Notice this right here. 
at the time of this writing, there were no women, at the time of this writing, she says, there were no women elders in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The first woman elder in the SDA church happened in the 1970s. Therefore, we can conclude rightfully that she was referring to males in this statement. There were no women elders in the early Adventist church. In the same thought, the editorial from Signs of the Times, December 19th, 1878. December 19th, 1878, Signs of the Times, which would be um, page 320, it says, quote, the divine arrangement, even from the beginning, is this, that the man is the head of the woman, and every relation is disregarded or abused in this lawless age. But the scriptures always maintain this order in the family relation. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians 5.23, man is entitled to certain privileges which are not given to women. And he is subjected to some duties and burdens from which the woman is exempt. Now, before I read on, um, don't look at this the wrong way. If there's anybody think, looking at this the wrong way, um, Ellen White, though she talks about men and women being physicians, she makes a very plain um, distinction saying that there are women physicians that should work for women. And she makes it very plain that um, women should be the only ones who should be midwives, which today gynecologists or an obstetrician. And she explains why. And when you read it, you can understand from a common sense standpoint why she would say it. So what happens is if I was a physician, if I'm going to follow the blueprint, God's divine blueprint, there are certain restrictions even as a physician. Notice this right here. A woman may pray, prophesy, exhort, and comfort the church, but she cannot occupy the position of a pastor, and I put this in my own brackets in the strictest sense of the term, or a ruling elder. This will be looked upon as usurping authority over the man, which here in 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 12 is prohibited. And not one word of rebuke from the prophet came to this person. But somebody say, well, Dr. O, uh, Dr. Olatonji, didn't Ellen G. White said, quote, it is the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit of God that prepares workers, both men and women, to become pastors to the flock of God. Brothers and sisters, she did say that. But brothers and sisters, that's what it says. But the question is, what does it mean? If I say I am gay, I better qualify that right now. Am I right? <laughs> because there's two definitions. Am I right? But I'm happy. Are you with me? I'm cheerfully. Are you with me? Am I right? Amen. Not the other. Amen. So what happens is this right here. So when she says women being pastors to the flock of God, the spirit of prophecy makes it very plain that men and women are to become pastors, can become pastors to the flock of God. With that, I have no problem with that. So what we want to do is we want to define in these last few moments, what does it mean by a pastor? And I've got some good news for you. God has two definitions of a pastor. And we're going to read it from the Bible and spirit of prophecy. In the strictest sense, in the what sense? In the strictest sense, elders and bishops who oversee churches are to be pastors. Ellen G. White says in manuscript 43, 1907, in the strictest sense, those who occupy the position of under shepherds, which we will call pastors, as elders of the church are to exercise a watchful diligence over the Lord's flock. This is not to be a lording dictatorial vigilance, they are to encourage and strengthen. And to that I say amen. Now, number two, in the broadest sense, in the what sense? Men and women can be pastors who do pastoral duties 
among the congregation or institution, this is very important, where they are not functioning as an ordained elder or do not have to function as an ordained elder or bishop over a congregation. Example, chaplains. We have hospital chaplains. We have military chaplains. We have chaplains in, on college campuses, men and women who do pastoral labor. And I thank God for that. I have colleagues in ministry that happen to be women that are chaplains, and to that, I say, keep on pastoring in the chaplaincy role. Do you understand what I'm talking about? But they're not serving or functioning as ordained bishops and elders. Notice this right here, chaplains, deacons, deaconesses, Bible workers, etc. So in the broadest sense, men and women, pastoring in this function without holding the office or title of an elder is scriptural. Notice this right here. Let me give you another key thought. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 11 for a minute. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. We want to look at something. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. The Bible makes it very plain that when Jesus led captivity captive, the scripture says that he gave certain gifts unto men. The Bible says in verse 11, and he gave some apostles... Then he gave some prophets and then some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And we know in Corinthians that teaching and prophecy is a spiritual gift. So we must conclude that evangelists, pastors, and apostles are gifts of the Spirit as well, too. So I believe that these gifts here are gender inclusive, which means men and women can function as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors in the broadest sense, and teachers. So therefore, there's no contradiction, but let's break it down. So a bishop or an elder could function as a pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle, and a prophet, and most of the time they do. But those with these gifts, these same gifts, do not have to be a bishop or an elder in order to perform all these gifted functions. Keep that in mind. So I'm an ordained elder. I function in these five capacities. But what happens is this right here. There are also people who are not ordained elders or bishops who function in the same capacity, including pastor. I know pastors who are not um, ordained bishops, but yet they pastor doing self-supporting work or chaplaincy ministries and the like. So let's look at this thought right here. All bishops were pastors, but not all pastors were bishops. Keep that in mind. Let me give you an example. Sister White. Now, she wasn't an elder or a bishop, but she functioned as a gifted prophet. Am I right? She didn't need that there. Indeed, men and women can function as pastors from the spiritual gift standpoint. And as I said before, there are men as well as women who work in pastoral care who are not congregational bishops and elders. So what we want to do now is look at the duties of a pastor outlined by Ellen G. White. Um, due to time's sake, this is not an exhaustive, but I believe it's clear. The, the Spirit of Prophecy says in the book of Gospel Workers, page 337, Gospel Workers, page 337, the servant of the Lord says, the pastor should visit from house to house among his flock, teaching, conversing, and praying with each family. Now, she's talking about this in the context of the ministry, but when we put a woman in there, can a woman go house to house? Am I right? Can she teach? House to house, converse? House to house, pray with each family? House to house, amen? And they shouldn't work alone either. Jesus says two and two, amen? It says, and looking out for the welfare of their souls, those who have manifested a desire to become acquainted with the principles of our faith 
should not be neglected, but thoroughly instructed in the truth. Let me give you another one. Testimonies, volume 5, 723. Responsibilities must be laid upon the members of the church and the missionary spirit should be awakened as never before and workers should be appointed as needed who will act as pastors to the flock, putting forth personal effort to bring the church up to that condition where spiritual life and activity will be seen in all her borders. And we need women to fulfill that role as well. Amen. Let me read to you another one right here. Now, I just want to just read to you from um, Elder William Fagel, who's the current assistant director of the LNG Wider State, dealing with this issue. It says, quote, the concept of pastor, he says, is associated with the function, notice this right here, of personal work for the flock of God even when it's done by members of the church other than the minister. Great balance. One, notice this right here, he says, who visits families, who teaches and prays with them, who shows personal care and interest is doing pastoral work, whether it's a man or a woman. Notice this right here. Key point, a woman with the spiritual gift of pastoring who's been divinely given that spiritual gift should not be denied from functioning in that pastoral capacity. Can function in this capacity without violating 1 Timothy chapter 2, 12, which forbids women usurping authority over men in the congregation, which means that she does not have to be an elder or a bishop to be a pastor. So the lesser light, the spirit of prophecy, is in connection with the greater light, the Bible. Amen. So as a woman being a pastor to the flock of God, it has to be in this context. Notice this right here. I'm going to read to you this right here. Conclusion. As we come to the conclusion, men and women are called by God to finish the gospel commission. We can say amen to that. Amen. We need the labors of both sexes in order to meet the unique demands of the present time. There are women who are now serving that I know as conference departmental workers, as youth directors, personal ministries, women's ministries, and other ministries, and others are doing pastoral care as chaplains, et cetera, as well as other ministerial functions that are not in violation of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Secondly, Ellen White's statement of testimonies, chapter, volume 6, 322, does not contradict the writings of Paul as it relates to eldership in the church. The Bible states that qualified men are to be elders slash bishops over their churches who must function as a pastor. That's inherent in a bishopric or eldership. But what happens, what Ellen White said is not in contradiction. Notice this right here. Pastoral work in its broadest sense can be done by women who have the spiritual gift of pastoring which does not necessitate them holding the office of an elder or a bishop. Pastoring is a spiritual gift, but eldership is an office. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's see what the Bible says. And my last point is that Ellen White's statement must be interpreted within this light if she is to be in harmony with Scripture. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as a matter of fact, let's go to chapter 5, because um, I don't want to... Um, leave this out, and then I want to read a couple of more statements. We've got some time. Um, there is a new argument. Maybe it's a new argument. There's a new argument, Pastor Board, that um, has been brought up to substantiate women as elders. Now, 
And when I saw it, I was shocked because I'm like, this person's a PhD. I'm like, you should know better from an exegetical standpoint, but we're going to read it anyway. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to come with a suggested solution to this issue. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Let's look at verse 1. Do you have it? It says, quote, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a what? And the younger men as what? Brethren. Verse 2 says, and the elder women as mothers and the younger as sisters with all purity. Um, the new argument, I don't know if it's going around, but um, it says here, elder women, it says right here, a woman can be an elder. You're laughing because you know that that is not what the text is saying. That is purely eisegesis. Am I right, somebody? <laughs> so it says, he has a PhD, but, it, you know, people see what they see. But it says that the elder women as mothers. Now, when it says elder women, it's talking about age. Am I right, somebody? Amen. It says elder women as mothers and the younger as what? Sisters, so we see a correlation between older and elder and younger. So the context, yes, it may be the same Greek word, but what happens is this right here is talking about something completely different. Have you ever heard the term respect your elders? Amen, not talking about congregational elders, those who are older in age. Let's look at the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, the Bible gives the answer what he mean by um, elder women. The Bible says, now you already know what the answer is, but let's look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 4. And I'm going to read to you a statement from a, um, a recent um, um, Sabbath school author that talked about the ordination of women. It was a very important, very interesting point. Um, Titus chapter 2 and verse 4. Now it talks about, in verse, look at verse 1. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith, in charity and patience. Verse 3, and the what kind of women? Aged women or the elder women. Likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the who? Young women. All these other things, am I right? So like I said, it's a work for women. And let me tell you, the closer we get back, to the New Testament model, am I right, somebody? The more blessed it is. And it's very interesting to note that the Christian church, the early church, grew beyond leaps and bounds without ordained women clergy, but yet women were functioning in ministerial functions. Am I right? The Bible talks about Philip's daughters in the book of Acts 21, verse 8, who prophesied. And as we come to the last days, I believe in the latter rain, when God pours out his spirit, when the message of the third angel will go throughout the whole world and the closing work, men and women will be endowed with that prophetic gift to give prophetic guidance in the last days as we close the work. Now, going back to first uh, to Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, when the Bible talks about elders being ordained, one of my colleagues in ministry and the recent Sabbath school direct Sabbath school author, Dr. Keith Burton, in Ministry Magazine of 1996 says something very interesting that caught my attention. This is from November of 1996. It says, quote, one notices in the New Testament that ordination was reserved for those who had specific leadership gifts. Not every gift, notice it here, not every gift demanded an official recognition or installation in church, church leadership position. From the wording of Acts 14, 23 and Titus 1, 5, it appears that those who were ordained fell under the general category of presbytery or elders. The ordination was not to a specific leadership position. Notice this right here, such as teacher, 
apostle, pastor, mm. evangelist. Now, maybe this not, may have been his thought, but something stuck out here to me. This observation is further evident in the fact that the apostles Peter and John identify themselves as elders. Thus, we see that while church leaders may have performed distinct functions, they all bore the generic distinction of presbyteros or elder. What I got out of this was, is that going back to um, the argument of how a person can function as a pastor, as a teacher, as an apostle, as a prophet, without being ordained to the office of an elder or a bishop. So with that, I believe there's a balance. Now, of course, there will be those that will not um, accept any um, uh, um, um, counsel such as this right here, as we've discussed here in this symposium, but for the honest in heart. Ellen White says, lift up the principles of truth and let the God lead the honest in heart. Amen. Manuscript 47, 1898. Manuscript 47, 1898 says, A great work is to be done in our world, and every talent, how many talents? Every. Is to be used in accordance with righteous principles. If a woman is appointed by the Lord to do a certain work, her work is to be esteemed according to its value. And every laborer, men and women, is to receive her just due. I like what she says here. I'm reading on. Those who work earnestly, and unselfishly, be they men or women, bring sheaves to the master. And the souls converted by their labor, men and women, will bring their tithes into the treasury. When self-denial is required because of a dearth of means, do not let a few hardworking women do all the sacrificing. And you know, in a lot of churches today, especially in the black church, there's more women than it is men. And we need the sisters. Amen. And it's been said often, if it wasn't for the women, we wouldn't have a church. No wonder the Bible called a woman in Bible prophecy a church. <laughs> Let all share in making the sacrifice. God declares, I hate robbery for burnt offering. And then in manuscript 149, 1899, manuscript 149, 1899, she concludes from this right here, where she says the tithe should go to those who labor in word and doctrine, be they men or women. And I do believe in equal pay for equal labor. Amen. One of my favorite women in ministry um, happens to be a professor, one of my former teachers, not going to say where she was teaching at, but I loved her zeal, her passion for scripture and the writings of Ellen White. And I sat at her feet in my classes and I said, hallelujah. Are you with me? So in conclusion, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy affirms women in ministry. Amen. And the spirit of prophecy talks about women as well as men being pastors. But it must be understood in the light of pastor being a spiritual gift to where women, in the broader sense of the term, can do pastoral labor without being ordained elders and bishops. And with that, there's no um, contradiction. There's perfect harmony. And as Ted Wilson says, we must study this issue and seek what God's will is. And I don't speak for anybody but myself based on this from doing my own personal study. Why? Because the Bible says that I must give an account of myself before God. Amen. Let's go to Titus chapter, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we bring this to a close. And with that, let's see what God's will is in his, script, in his word. The Bible says, 
in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Oh, before I read it, thank you, Lord. I wanted to say that equal pay for equal labor, amen? Women, I have no issue with women studying theology on a bachelor's level, master's level, and even on a PhD level. And one of my, I have a female friend of mine, and um, this lady, I tell you, she is so profound in teaching that word, but yet she does not have a theology degree but she is powerful in the scriptures. And we affirm her, and you know what? And at her church in Jefferson, Texas, they've asked her, if they, she's a pastor asked her one time about her being elder, she said no, because of what the word says. What is the word saying? Verse one, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire for good work. A bishop then must be blameless the husband of one wife, and we know only a man, man could be a husband of one wife. Am I right? Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality, and notice it says, apt to teach. Verse 3, not given to wine, nor striker, nor gritty or filthy looker, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house. How shall he take care of the church of God? And God has appointed us as men with all the testosterone that God has given us, amen, <laughs> to be the leaders in our home. And as the Seventh-day Adventist commentary states, and even the book, uh, Child God, I have a minute and a half left, even Child God says that the church, the home is the extended church. And we've already read that in the spirit of prophecy. So every home is a church. And where there is, a male, he is to be the priest of his home. In the beginning of time when sin came into the world, even though the woman sinned first, God came to the head because he was responsible. So therefore Paul was right when he said, by one man sin entered into the world because God made him the head and God held him responsible. And in the end, there will be many fathers who will be called into account whether they were with their children or not, whether they abandoned their families or not, and ask the men, where's that flock that I have given you? And there are women, such as my mother, who raised my, myself and my brother and sister without my daddy there, did a powerful work. She had to be mama and daddy, but never at any time did I call her daddy. <laughs> I called her mother. So brothers and sisters, I thank God for the truth. Am I, am I, right, am I right or wrong? I thank God for the truth. And brothers and sisters, with that, let's bow our heads for a short word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will be with us. Bless this word and may it bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.